Well, first of all, I want to thank you very much for that reading of God's Word. I know there was a lot there, so it was wonderful to have four people reading for us. And I think sometimes it's good just to dwell in God's Word. Sometimes we just have a few verses. I make no apology for a whole chapter. And I'm just praying that the Lord will richly bless His Word to us. Well, it's wonderful to be amongst you. My father and I have had a wonderful visit so far uh, up to Brecum and back home. And uh, we're being well hosted by your pastor Samuel and Gifty, and we thank them very much for that. But as we look at God's Word, let's turn to the Lord, shall we, in prayer, that He'll guide us and uh, speak to us by His Holy Spirit. Our loving Lord Jesus, we thank You that You said where two or three are gathered together, You are there. And we thank You, Lord, that You are here. We have already welcomed You in song and in prayer and in praise. And Lord, Lord, as we turn to your word and as we turn to an Old Testament passage that for some of us will be very familiar, for others of us might be new, we just ask that you will speak very clearly to us. Thank you that you are the same Lord, yesterday, today, and forever. Lord, you know we live in a changing world, but we praise you that you never change. You remain the same. So we pray that as we look at this ancient wisdom, you will somehow apply it by your Holy Spirit to our hearts. We pray for those here who really need to hear from you. We praise for those here who maybe feel distracted, that you'll captivate our hearts. Lord, however we are, we pray that you'll soften our hearts to obey you this week so that we may be more and more the people that you have called us to be. For we ask it by your name. Amen. Wonderful. Well, I know that uh, you guys like slides, so uh, late last night I thought, oh, I haven't got any slides, so I pulled a few together. So if you don't like them, it's probably because I took too little time on them, so I do apologize. I don't want to distract you, though, so there will be one or two things that will come up, and I'll cue them as we go. Just leave it on the title slide for now. Um, But occasionally you'll see a blank screen. That's deliberate. When you see a blank screen, do feel free to swipe or click or even take your old-fashioned Bibles and just look at 1 Samuel 25. I really do want you to keep it in front of uh, you, because the, the, the topic I want to talk about today is wise leadership, and how much we need wise leadership. And we're not going to be wise unless we really are guided by God's Word. So I'm also very happy if you want to approach me afterwards and say, Steve, I didn't agree with you on whatever it is. That's perfectly okay. Let's just ask that the Lord will guide us as we listen to His Word. I wonder how often does our mind, does your mind, does my mind, get challenged by leadership? There's a certain thing that's happening, I gather, in the Middle East uh, this coming week. And I suspect some of us might be tempted to look at the television screen with some emotion. Just a little bit emotion. Maybe perhaps when the black stars are playing. Maybe not. That's a form of leadership. You see those managers on the touchline. I don't know how they survive. Heart attacks must be close at hand. You see the pain on their face. And it's an interesting form of leadership, isn't it? They have to stand there, and all their work better have been done beforehand. Because I don't know whether any of the strikers, or the backers, or the middle feeders are listening to anything that they're saying. But they shout anyway, and they look a little bit worried for it. Leaders. Leaders in politics. I don't know about you. I have caught myself many times, even this past week, groaning and complaining. Well, that's not a very godly thing to do. We should be praying. Certainly in my country, in the United Kingdom, we've been praying a lot. Um, I was encountered by a friend of mine in my congregation. He came from Hong Kong. And with our previous prime minister, you know, the one that lasted 47 days, which is a record, not one we want to break, 
she said to me, Steve, why are you people in Britain complaining? We've had a leader in Hong Kong, also female, and we weren't able to complain. So that brought me up slightly short. What about leaders in business? Some of us might be leaders where we work. Some of us might be working for leaders. And that conversation that we have when we grab a, a bit of water to drink or grab a coffee with colleagues, what is that about? What comments do we make about our leaders? And even in our homes, uh, some of us will be mothers and fathers, or be looking after kids, or be looking after nephews, or may even be grandparents. What kind of leadership do we have? Well, there are many models of godly and wise leadership in the Old and New Testament. And of course, supremely, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. But today I felt quite drawn to this particular leader we've been reading about. No, not David, by the way. He occurs. And not Nabal. He probably thought he should have been the one we were talking about. But his wife, Abigail, a wonderful, wise leader. And I want to suggest to you a few things that I want to wrap into just one word. Lasts. Wise leadership lasts. It's about listening. It's about action. It's about speaking. It's about truth-telling. And it's also significant. And we'll just uh, go a little bit through that passage um, and hear that. But first of all, the context. And I'm so grateful that we read the whole passage. It's useful to do that because we jumped into Samuel. And we were reminded right at the very start, if you're listening carefully, do feel free to just uh, go on to the next slide. Uh, we were reminded right at the very part. Actually, go back to the, the, the previous slide. I do apologize. Just, just leave it on the previous slide. Thank you. Remind you right at the very start, something very significant happened. I don't know whether you noticed it. You might have just been trying to find the verse, so skipped over it as it was read very clearly. Now Samuel died. That's very significant. That's very significant. You see, this was a very divided kingdom. Yeah, physically it was united. They had one king. His name was Saul, but actually they were divided. David was marauding around the place with 400 men, not because he liked doing it, but because he was in fear of his life. And he'd had the opportunity just a few verses before to take the life of the king. But as many of us know, he wouldn't do that because this was the Lord's anointed. But the significance was Samuel, who had anointed David to be king one day, he had died, his ultimate mentor. And all of Israel felt his loss. So it's a very tense time. David is fleeing Saul. He doesn't quite know what to make of Saul. At one stance, Saul is saying, well, play the harp for me. You're a wonderful warrior. You're a mighty champion. You defeated Goliath. Next, he's taking a spear and throwing it at him. What do you do with a leader like that? So Nabal is uh, the destination, if you will, of David. Nabal is living in a particular fertile valley. And many of you will have heard the quotation that a number of preachers like to preach on about the sons of Issachar. You'll find the detail in Chronicles 1 Chronicles 12, 32. I love the way that Scripture comments on Scripture. We know about the sons of Issachar because we're told they knew what to do. And that was quite significant. This was a very politically tense environment, and it wasn't quite clear what to do. You needed to follow Saul, but on the other hand... Well, David was there. What should you do? How would you show loyalty? Well, Nabal was the opposite, if I can put it this way, of the sons of Issachar. I'm not sure he knew what to do. So he did what a lot of us do. He sat very comfortably and firmly on the fence. 
Notice his fence sitting. Why should I take my bread and water and the meat I have slaughtered by my shearers and give it to men coming from who knows where? I mean, I'm the king of my own castle. I will give my allegiance to who I will give my allegiance to, and I haven't seen them yet. So this is a very interesting story. And now we encounter a very different type of leader in verse 14. Abigail, a very wise peacemaker. And we can roll on to the next slide. Listening. This is a person who listens. I don't know about you in the home environment or the office environment. Are you as guilty as I am? My daughters have often said to me, and increasingly they do by WhatsApp now they've left home, Dad, are you really listening? Did you hear what I had to say? I had an instance uh, recently where I was uh, reflecting with my older daughter on something from some years ago, and she smiled. Uh, we were having a, a Zoom call. She smiled at me, and she said, oh, Dad, you finally caught up. I told you about that years ago. And you nodded, and you said, uh-huh. I don't think you were listening. I don't think you were listening. How many times in the office do we talk to someone, really talk to someone, and fail to listen to what they're saying? I remember an instance once uh, when I was working as a partner, I walked in with a presentation with a whole team and I was confronted with a CFO, a chief financial officer who clearly had something going on. Something prompted me, I dismissed my team and I said, what can I do? What can I do to help you? And his shoulders slumped and he said, oh, I don't think you can. He said, thanks for leaving your team to one side. We'll get around to the presentation. Well, we never got around to the presentation. We spent about an hour as he poured out his heart on a particular issue. I can't even remember what the issue was, but I know we weren't going to make any progress unless I listened to what he had to say. How often do we listen to what is going on? Well, let's listen to this listening. Let's just uh, move on to the next slide, which is probably blank, exactly. Leave it blank, and then we can concentrate on the Lord's Word. Verse 14 to 17, do you notice how Abigail listens? First of all, notice the audience. One of the servants, one of the household servants, told Nabal's wife, Abigail, David sent messengers from the desert. That's quite significant. These are servants who are quite happy to say to their mistress, to Abigail, listen, this is what's going on. And she was happy to listen to them. And the tale they tell is a very interesting one. Nabal has sat very firmly on the fence, and yet the tale they're telling is of David and these 400 men who seem to have been quite amazing. These men were very good to us, the servant says. They didn't ill-treat us. Clearly, this was a difficult time. So there were maraudering people, not the sons of Issachar, coming around with their troops, and they did what troops did. They took things by force, but that wasn't like David. Not only that, but she listened and heard that night and day, they were a wall around us. That's quite significant. David and his men didn't just come and consume food and water and do things. No, they protected Nabal's people. And that is why they end up with verse 17. Now think it over. I love that. A servant saying to her mistress, please, mom, think it over. See what you can do because a disaster is going to overtake us. Why? Because this wicked man, that's an interesting phrase, this wicked man, our master, has done some things that he shouldn't have done. He's offended the people who've been protecting us. Well, what a lot of listening must have been going on there. And I say that because we know from the story that Abigail reacted to that listening. I wonder if that's a prompt for us. Is there someone in our lives we should be really listening to? Maybe someone we haven't really paid much attention to. I remember again on another consulting project, the most junior person on the team who just joined us 
tapped on my office door before we were due to go into a presentation and said, oh, Steve, you don't know me. And I said, actually, I think you're Louise. And she said, oh, well done. You've remembered my name. We've got a problem. So I said, oh, really? Yes, we've got a problem with the client. And she outlined something to me that I wasn't aware of. And she was absolutely right. When I checked with the client, we were about to be thrown off the project. We hadn't listened. How important to listen to someone, even a new member of the team. Well, so far, Abigail had listened very, very well. But what could she do? The servants had left that with her. Let's roll on to the next slide. Wise leadership is about actioning. There's going to be a lot of action this week of that type. But this action was different. A lot of food was provided. Do you notice that? And packed into donkeys. I mean, after all, there was David and there were 400 men. Very interesting that it says Abigail lost no time. And what time was it that she didn't lose? Well, she found the time to get her servants to get 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, that's a lot of wine, five dressed sheep, in other words, they were slaughtered and all prepared, ready to be eaten, roasted grain, cakes of raisins, 200 cakes of pressed figs, I quite like that, I like figs, there were a lot of them. All of those things were loaded onto donkeys. And then she does a very interesting thing, do you notice verse 19, she told her servants, go ahead and I will follow you. You know, I think if she'd been truly like her husband Nabal, she probably would have gone ahead herself, ridden the first donkey. But no, she doesn't do that. No, she was riding a donkey, but she came along later. What wisdom in that action. David was angry. We know that. He'd been insulted. We know that. He hadn't been provided for. Therefore, he was hungry. And this wise leader said, before we do anything else, these people need to be fed. And I'll be the one who feed them. And I will go riding on a donkey. Again, very wise action. She wasn't uh, supplicant. She wasn't uh, acting as a servant. No, she was a leader amongst them. And there's that lovely vision of her riding down into the ravine. And you can imagine the scene. Then David also rode down into the ravine and 400 people with him. What on earth was going to happen? David has just literally said, it's absolutely useless. All my watching over this fellow's property, and look what he's done. Nothing good is going to come of this. He's paid me back evil for good. And he utters an oath in verse 22. May God deal with me if I don't sort out this person and the people who belong to him. Enter Abigail. And what does she do? Further action. She gets down off her donkey very quickly. She's established who she is. She's her own woman here. And she bows down low before David with her face to the ground. There's no sense of station. You're my guest, she's saying. This is my land, she's saying. But I'm honoring you. So far, so good. Abigail's actions had averted immediate disaster. But David is still angry. So wise leaders speak. Let's just move on, shall we? One more, if we may. I wonder what kind of speaking you're involved in doing. Maybe some of us this week are going to be involved in giving presentations, and perhaps we put a lot of time and effort into that presentation. Or increasingly, many of us are working virtually as well, or hybrid, as they say. So we may be talking to colleagues uh, on the phone or on the internet or by other means. And many of us have worked out now in our new work economy, we probably need to take extra care to speak very carefully using social media, do we not? There's a temptation to treat it as our next-door neighbor, 
But it's very difficult to get the sense of, well, what's this person saying? Is Steve happy? Is he angry? Is he upset? So taking the time over social media to pause, maybe enter that Zoom meeting five minutes early and find out how people are. Maybe leave 10 minutes late and ask people how it's gone. These things are really, really important. But I want to draw your attention to the picture at the top. It's just a cartoon picture. But I love the way that Abigail speaks so wisely. As we will look at in a minute, she uses a lesson from a sling that David will perfectly well understand. She understands her audience as she speaks. Well, let's have a look at scripture. Just roll on to that blank slide so we can concentrate on our phones. Uh, obviously, on the Bibles on our phones. I trust there's no Facebook going on here or football going on here. Or, or our physical Bibles. Verse 24. So there is Abigail. She's fallen at his feet, but she speaks, My Lord, my Lord, let the blame be on me alone. How different from the fence sitter. She's directly intervened and said, This is the issue. I want to take the blame for what my husband has done. What amazing leadership that is. Not blaming or moaning or complaining. No, no, no. I will take this problem on myself. First of all, you need to understand that, David. My Lord, pay no attention to Nabal. And there's a lovely play on words, isn't there, in that verse. Unfortunately, Nabal is not a great name, and yet it is exactly the right name for this man. Save us, husbands, from husbands like this. I'm preaching to myself. This Nabal was a fool. And his wife was quite happy to say to David, well, he's a fool. Everybody knows he's a fool. You haven't worked it out yet, but I'll tell you, he's a fool. In case husbands around here are getting a little bit nervous, don't worry, there'll be some relief, but later. Later. First of all, she says, remember the Lord God, David, verse 26. Since the Lord has kept you, my master, from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands, may your enemies and all who intend to harm my master be like Nabal. Those are bold words. In other words, those who take vengeance into their own hands, may they be like the fools they are, like my husband, Nabal. This is to David. No wonder she packed those donkeys with food that was visibly around. She had some tough things to say to David, but she said it from an amazing posture. And then she points to the gift and say, well, look, this gift is for you. Now, actually, she doesn't say that. She said, verse 7, let this gift which your servant has brought to my master be given to the men who follow you. Isn't that wonderful language? In other words, the generosity that my Lord God has allowed me to have as the, not the head of the household, the fool is, but I'm his wife and I can do what I need to do. That generosity, you pass on, David, to your men because your men are hungry and I know you want to feed them. I know you want to look after them. I'm appealing to the leader in you that wants your men to be well fed. Very wise words. And then she asks for forgiveness. And notice she's asked, happy to ask for that forgiveness, even though the person who is wronged is her husband, not herself. Please forgive your servant's offense, for the Lord will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my master. Again, wonderful wise words. She was recalling what Samuel had pointed out to David's father as Samuel anointed David as king of Israel, that he would be on the throne. She's reminding David that, yeah, things are not right at the moment. But remember, the Lord is going to bless you. He promised to bless you. And his promises always come true. Amen? Amen. Amen. She goes further. 
because he fights the Lord's battles. In other words, David, what are you doing with this fool? What are you doing getting worried and upset about my husband? He's a fool. You're here to fight the Lord's battles. Is this the Lord's battle? Is this the Lord's battle? Let no wrongdoing be found in yours as long as you live. Even though someone is pursuing you to take your life. Well, that is strong language. David was being pursued by Saul and he knew it and he didn't like it. She gets right to the point. Even though that's happening, the life of my master will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. Isn't that wonderful? David, you can be secure in the Lord of God because he will not allow you to fail. He will secure you in the bundle of the living. I love that phrase. He will secure you in the people who are kept alive in this very difficult time where people need to be wise like the sons of Issachar. People need to know who to follow. And you probably can't declare yourself yet as king, although you are king because there's one already on the throne. Be secure in the Lord, she's saying. Be secure in him. That's where your security is. You don't need to take vengeance upon yourself. And this, this lovely phrase, but the lives of your enemies... He will hurl away as from the pocket of a sling. Isn't it wonderful? She got David absolutely right. This was not a man of the spear. This wasn't a man of the sword. This was a man, a shepherd boy of the sling. And that sling was mighty. When it let go, it found its mark. And she uses that language. You know, it was said of Churchill that he weaponized the English language and sent it into battle in World War II. Well, I tell you, brothers and sisters, long before that... This wise servant lady leader, Abigail, was doing much the same thing, but with great effect, because it was God's word that she was uttering to God's king. When the Lord has done for my master every good thing he has promised concerning it, and has appointed him leader over Israel, then, verse 31, my master will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed, having avenged himself. Again, what wise words from a wise leader. What is the point, she says to David, of avenging yourself against a fool of needless bloodshed? Remember, that bloodshed was going to be significant. What had he said? Every single male in this household. You know, may God deal with me ever so severely. That's a serious oath. If one of them remains alive. And Abigail is able to thwart all of that by God's grace by saying, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? The Lord is going to preserve you. You don't need to attack this fool. And anyway, if you did, it'll be on your conscience. It will be on your conscience. Again, those were very prophetic words, my brothers and sisters, about David. Anybody who knows anything about David knows that he had a problem with his conscience. Many leaders do. But this wise leader was pointing that actually for wise leaders to be wise, they need a good conscience before the Lord their God. If they're asked to do something, they should do it, but they should check first that it really is what the Lord wants them to do. May God give us grace and may God raise up many wise leaders, and I suspect there will be some in this room, in our homes, in our offices, in our politics, in our sports, whatever, who will say to other leaders and give wisdom from the Lord God. So, speaking. And then I'm going to change the order just slightly. If we go on to the next side, truth-telling. I love this uh, particular view. And uh, if you Google at the moment, don't do it right now, but if you Google Artemis, 
you'll see an even a more amazing series of pictures as it heads towards the moon, that unmanned rocket, and looks back at the planet Earth. And every time I look at a picture like this, I don't know about you, I'm just reminded how fragile is our home. And we should be praying for leaders who are trying to wrap up their conference at the moment in Egypt, that the Lord will give wisdom as leaders of all faiths and none are trying to wrestle to figure out how do we keep our homes safe? That's actually what's at stake. There was a, a, an ex-vice president, wasn't there, who took a picture like this, published a book, put a cross over it, an X cross, and said, an inconvenient truth. For years and years and years, humanity has thought, well, that little globe that we live on is fine. We can do whatever we like with it. We can pollute our rivers. We can pollute our air. We can do whatever. And now we're realizing that actually we can't. It's finite. Well, that's a bit of an inconvenient truth. And I want to talk about another inconvenient truth, verse 36 to 39. Don't worry, we'll come back in a minute. But I want to focus on those three verses first. This may be some relief, only some, to husbands. Those of us who are foolish, there's no relief at all. When Abigail went to Nabal, he was in the house. So all of this stuff has been happening in the ravine, and Nabal was blissfully unaware. We can move on to the next slide. Blissfully unaware. I just want us to focus on the text here. He was having a banquet. Can you imagine it? This person who'd sat on the fence, who'd given offense to 400 people and David, was having a party. I mean, why not let's have a party? Could it be that Abigail said to the servants, don't tell my husband that we're taking all this food? I suspect the reason why she said that may have been, it's speculation, the party might have started earlier. Oh, bring the, bring the food, bring the skins of wine, bring them now. There was obviously plenty of food and wine there, but he's having a party. Not only that, but he was in high spirits. This is a real fool. He's been threatened. Hey, he's in high spirits. He certainly hasn't asked where his wife or servants are. Hey, he's just very drunk. Wabigail was so wise. Again, husbands beware. She told him nothing until the morning. What is the point of confronting a hungry man? What is the point of confronting a drunk man? Abigail was very wise. But when she did in the morning, verse 37, note her words struck home. This is real truth-telling from a wise leader. Nabal was sober, and his wife told him all these things. So lest any of us were sitting there thinking, well, I thought that this was a virtuous wife. How could she do these things and Nabal not know? No, Nabal was going to know but by God's grace, this wise leader was determining the right time to let her foolish husband know the truth. And some truth. We're told his heart failed him. He became like a stone. Now, I don't know what precisely that was, but it sounds like a stroke to me, doesn't it, to you? He couldn't speak. He became like a stone. And it's interesting, the Lord left him in that way, verse 38, for 10 days. 10 days. So at the end of his life, this person who'd sat famously on the fence, enjoying life, a little bit like that farmer we read of in the New Testament, built all his barns, 10 days, not able to say anything at all, and then the Lord took him. He died. That was it. Truth-telling to a fool. And there's more truth that follows after that. Verse 39, David heard that Nabal was dead, and notice what happens. He says, praise be to the Lord, who's upheld my cause because of this wrong treatment. Nabal's wrongdoing has been brought down on his own head. This is real truth-telling. Let's move on to our final slide, if we may. Wise leadership lasts. Wise leadership is about listening. It's about action. It's about speaking 
It's certainly about truth-telling, but it's also significant. And I just want to dwell on this response that David gave to Abigail in terms of its significance. And there are two themes here. One is a theme of good judgment, which is also a hallmark of wise leadership. And the other, well, I couldn't find a good image for this. You'll probably have much better images, but it's peace. Abigail had walked into a situation which was pretty desperate. All of the men in her household, probably including her slaves and servants, would be killed. But actually, it had been turned around. There would now be peace. Let's just move on. A last sort of blank slide. Let's just focus briefly on these verses. David said to Abigail, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you to meet me. My brothers and sisters, my prayer is for all of this this week. By God's grace, someone might say the same about us. We don't know what the context might be. It might be at home. It might be in the workplace. It might be on the sports field. It might be looking after a caring for a relative. It might be anywhere. May it be said of us as Christ's people, praise be to the Lord who has sent you to me today. This wise leadership has significance. It's not about ourselves. It wasn't about Abigail. It was about taking responsibility and reminding David the leader he was and what he should be doing by actions and by words. And it was significant. David reflected that significance. And he adds, verse 33, May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and for avenging myself with my own hands. What a lesson Abigail had taught this other servant of God. Don't avenge. God will do that. Don't do it by your own hands. God will do it. And he needed to hear that. Verse 34, The Lord, the God of Israel, lives. He's kept me from harming you. And if you hadn't gone quickly to meet me, well, he would have gone and harmed Nabal. So David says, go home in peace. I've heard your words and granted your request. My friends, wise leaders are peacemakers. They listen, they take action, they speak, they tell the truth. And it is significant. That's why wise leadership lasts, because it comes from the Lord. Well, my friends, I don't know what your specific context is this coming week. You may be afraid that you don't have much influence. Well, we're talking about a patriarchal society. We're talking about someone who is a wife to a fool. And by the way, this probably wasn't a marriage made out of love. This was probably an alliance that had been made perhaps by Abigail's father or Nabal's father. But yet, but yet, but yet, this was someone who listened to the Lord, listened to her servants, took action, and averted an entire disaster. My friends, with God's help, that might be just what he's calling you to do this coming week. I don't know, but he does. Let's be prayerfully alert and attentive to his word and to what he might want us to be. How can we listen better? How can we act well? How can we speak wisely? How can we tell the truth? Yes, directly, but with compassion to those we love the most. Sometimes that's the hardest Well, we can do all of that in the name of the Lord, because that's what Abigail did. Those thousands of years ago, we can do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, who we know from Scripture. As the Apostle Paul says at the end of uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.24, the one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. As he adds in 2 Thessalonians, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us And by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope. Encourage your hearts. Encourage my heart. And strengthen us in every good deed and word. Well, let's just pray together.
Our loving Lord, we thank you for this lesson from your word. We thank you for Abigail. And we thank you that in a patriarchal society where so much is written about men of God, and we thank you for them, much is also written about women of God. And we thank you for this amazing woman of God who you prompted by your spirit to act in quite an amazing way. Thank you that she prevented your servant David from doing a very foul thing and taking judgment into his own hands. Thank you that she picked her moment. But before her husband died, her husband heard the truth that he needed to hear, even though it deeply affected him. And Lord, we just offer to you our lives. We offer to you our lips. We offer to you our hands. We offer to you our feet. And we pray this week, Lord, that you'll take all of them and that you'll help us to do the things that you want us to do. Lord, we do pray for wise leadership. We pray even now for those Christians non-Christians and others meeting up in Sharm el-Sheikh. Give them wisdom, O Lord. Lord, have mercy. For if they don't come to some conclusion, then all of us are in peril on this world. We know you can do it. So we pray that you'll strengthen them. Lord, many of us are guilty of speaking ill against our leaders in the sporting world, in the political world, in the business world. Lord, help us as your people to stop doing that. And when we're tempted, help us not to sit on the fence. Help us to pray for them. Help us to ask for wisdom for them. And if you give us opportunity, help us to speak truth with compassion, having prayed into the situation. Lord, we pray that you'll help us to be wise peace workers at work, whether we're paid for it or not. Help us to enable others to work well and to be well served, to restore people's dignity in the workplace. Help us to listen to those who perhaps are not commonly listened to, I thank you for the wisdom you can give us through them. And Lord, we pray that you'll help us to be wise peacemakers at home. Lord, some of us may come from homes where there's real difficulty. And we pray, Lord, that you'll help us now how we can bring up our families in a loving and caring way in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, you came as Prince of Peace. And in a world constantly at war with itself, help us this week like Abigail, whatever our situation, whatever our context, to listen, to act, to speak, to tell the truth in your strength and because we belong to you. For we ask it in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.